In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today is Thomas Sunday, which is the first Sunday after the Feast of the Resurrection. This is one of the minor feasts of the Lord that we celebrate in the church. And uh, it's one of the distinguishing characteristics or events that have happened in the scriptures that we characterize um, the life of Thomas. Sometimes we just call him the Doubting Thomas, or every time we think about Thomas, the first thing that comes to our mind is that he, he doubted. Um, and we, we read actually what he said uh, after the disciples told him that the Lord had appeared to them and they saw him in the flesh and Thomas was not with them. He says, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And yet even though Thomas doubted, but the Lord instead of condemning him or instead of rebuking him or um, being upset because Thomas did not believe, he used this opportunity actually to appear again so that Thomas and the others would see and that Thomas would also have the opportunity to touch him and to see the print of the nails and to, to see the proof of the resurrection. And we see this pattern throughout the entire scripture that God takes those who maybe uh, doubt or fail or have some kind of a weakness and he turns this into actually something positive. So we're going to speak uh, just very briefly today about how God, use, use, how God uses our failures for his glory. So the first one is Thomas himself, right? When, when Thomas doubted, um, it gave the opportunity for Christ to appear again. And he told Thomas, he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and your hand and reach your hand here and put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And so when the Lord had this opportunity to appear again, it was actually a confirmation of the resurrection, not only to Thomas, but also to all of the other disciples. St. Cyril of Alexandria, he speaks about this. He says, We are taught by the slight lack of faith shown by the blessed Thomas that the mystery of the resurrection is effected on our earthly bodies and in Christ as the first fruits of the human race. He was no phantom or ghost fashioned in human shape, simulating the features of humanity. Meaning the Lord was not simply coming as the appearance of a man, but he was indeed flesh and blood as a man. And even after his resurrection, they could see that he had a flesh, that he had a body, and that they were able to touch him. So something that maybe would have looked at and said this is a negative thing, the idea that Thomas doubted, and yet the Lord used this doubt as an opportunity to appear again, to confirm the resurrection, so that all who see him would know that he is truly in the flesh resurrected and not some kind of um, ghost or some, some other kind of apparition. Another way that the Lord uses um, failure or contradiction in this case for, for his glory is he uses what seems to be contradictions in the gospel to prove its authenticity. Um, actually, if you, many people will look at the Gospels and they say, well, look, the one evangelist said something and another evangelist said something different about the same event. And therefore, because of this, we know for sure that this is uh, you know, a contradiction in the scripture and this is not authentic. This was all made up because there is contradictions or there's things. However, obviously, what, what people are seeing as contradictions is just different perspectives. If, if an event happens here in the church now that no one is expecting to happen, and then I go and I ask each person what happened. Each person is going to give their, you know, their perception of what happened. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that everyone's account is going to be identical. Actually, if every person's account was identical, then we would say that simply one person copied the answers from somebody else. 
But if each person gives a different account, mentioning different details, speaking in different language, about different em and emphasizing different things, one person skips some things, one person focuses on another thing. So everyone, it is a real account, just like real people would give an account differently and not exactly copying from one another. So what, the, what some people refer to as contradictions, actually the Lord uses to authenticate the scripture. This is why there are four evangelists, because four different people, they all express the same thing, the, the, the same event happening, describing it in their own words, in their own way. Number three, the Lord used Peter's weakness to inspire him to strengthen the faith of the other believers. So we know the St. Peter, he denied the Lord three times, but Christ told him, uh, before this happened, so before the fall of Peter, before Peter denied Christ, the Lord said to Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. So Peter was not going to be rejected by the Lord, even though the Lord knew that he was going to fail and he was going to deny him, but instead this was an opportunity for Peter to learn mercy for him to truly learn the mercy of God because he himself needed the mercy. Sometimes we focus so much on the law, the commandment, on what is right and what is wrong, and we forget that we ourselves are lacking in obeying the law. We ourselves are lacking. We are, we are not perfect. We, we fail, and we are in need of God's mercy for our own salvation, and that God calls us also to be, also to be merciful to others. And one of the lessons that Peter learned in this whole ordeal with him denying the Lord and coming back again, is that he himself, even though he is so zealous, and even though he is uh, the first among the apostles, and yet he himself also can fail, and he can deny the Lord, and he was in the need of the mercy of God. So one benefit of St. Peter's failure is to learn this mercy, and then also, as the Lord said to him, strengthen your brethren, meaning share this experience with others. Be uh, an example to them also of how to have mercy on one another and how to receive mercy from the Lord. Sometimes we believe that our spiritual progress is completely based on our effort, on based on completely on what I can do. And when I fall short and I fail, I blame myself and I look at myself and maybe we become frustrated with ourselves and angry with ourselves. And yet we know that we are sinners made of dust. So we should rely on the mercy of the Lord. There is no way to have salvation. There is no way to meet the standard of God without the work of the Holy Spirit in us. So God uses even our own failures to remind us of his mercy, to remind us of his presence, to remind us of our need of him, that he is the redeemer, he is the savior. None of us deserve heaven, none of us deserve paradise. It is only through the mercy of God because we are sinners. And if we don't realize that we are sinners, and we imagine that we are going to enter heaven because of our own merits, because of what we have done, because of how good we are, then we have missed the point of the resurrection, right? The resurrection is about raising those who are dead to life, and yet if I do not realize or understand or comprehend that I actually am dead in my sin, then I do not benefit from the resurrection, and for me the resurrection is just kind of a passing event. What is the big deal exactly? Why is it that we celebrate the resurrection so much? It's because we are in need of resurrection. We are in need of renewal and revival and recreation again. Number four, another way that God uses our failures. If you look at the story of Samson, God used Samson's weakness actually to avenge his people of their enemies. If you read the story of Samson, who was one of the judges of Israel, you see a very flawed person. You see him constantly struggling with his passions, with his lust, making wrong choices, may, being very immature in the way that he, he lives his life, 
going after Philistine women whom even his own parents were not approving of and God certainly did not approve of. And yet God allowed all of this to happen as an occasion for Samson to be used by God in order to destroy the enemies of Israel. So God used all of Samson's mistakes actually as a means of destroying the Philistines. And if you read every step along the way, it even says that God, even though that uh, God did not approve of Samson marrying Philistine woman and, 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 and living among the Philistines, and yet God allowed it as an occasion to avenge Israel over the Philistines. And the famous story of Delilah, who was this woman who, foolish, who, who Samson in his foolishness, he believed her and he revealed to her the source of his strength and the one who tricked him. And after this happened, um, the Philistines came now that he had become weak and they knew how to make him weak. They gouged out his eyes and they took him as a prisoner. And there Samson is in this Philistine temple. And even in the last moment of, its life, of his life, he says what in Judges 16, the Samson called to the Lord saying, O Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray, just this once, O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. And we see the end of Samson actually that through this act, he was able to destroy this Philistine temple and, and all of these other enemies of Israel at once. So all these things that God used Samson for, Samson was not a model example of morality. Samson was not an orator. He wasn't able to stand up and give sermons and to speak. Samson was not a king. Samson did not prophesy. Samson did not do good works or deeds for people. Samson was a warrior. And at the same time, he was um, very uh, susceptible to fall. And yet God even used him to do good. If God can use all of these people with their weaknesses, with their sins, then imagine how God also can use us. We shouldn't imagine that because we are weak and because we have failures, it means that we're beyond redemption or that God cannot use us for good, that God even takes our weaknesses and mistakes and sins and can turn them to good. Number five, he used Moses' sin when he struck the rock to confirm the inability of the law to save. What is this? So when, when, the, when the Moses and the Israelites were traveling in the desert and they were thirsty, um, the God wanted to bring water out of a rock in order for the people to drink. And so God told uh, Moses to speak to the rock and that after speaking to the rock, water would come out so that the people could drink. But Moses was impatient, he was frustrated, so instead of speaking to the rock as God said, he took his, his, his rod and he struck the rock instead of speaking to the rock so that water would come out. And because of this mistake that Moses made, uh, God told him, you will not enter into the promised land because you don't listen to what I said and instead you struck the rock instead of speaking to it. And we look at the scene and we're like, what, what is such a big deal of striking the rock or speaking to the rock or whatnot? But God used this as an example actually for all of us to understand the symbolism behind it. What does it mean? Moses, he's the one who received the Ten Commandments on the mountain, and Moses wrote, wrote the books of the law and the, and the Torah. So he represents the law. Right? He represents the law of the Old Testament. And this law is not able to bring us to the promised land. Okay? The promised land represents heaven. Right? The promised land that we are all traveling toward is heaven. The law is not able to bring us to heaven. The law cannot save. This is the spiritual meaning behind this, that Moses did not enter into the promised land. And instead, who is it that led the people into the promised land? It was the successor of Moses, who was Joshua. Joshua's name, the name of Joshua, is the same as the name of Jesus, which means Savior. 
and he is the one who led the people into the promised land. So salvation was not through the law, but salvation was through Christ the Savior. And this was a symbol uh, representing of what was going to come and the salvation coming through the Messiah. So even this sin that Moses made, this mistake that he made, and yet God used this as a way of confirming the, pr the path of salvation that he had prepared for all people. Lastly, number six, is the Lord transformed the transgression of Adam for a reason for the incarnation. Right? If, if Adam and Eve had not sinned, of course we don't know what would have happened, right? But the, the, the occasion of the Lord incarnating and coming to live among us and taking flesh and showing us the depth of his love of sacrificing himself for us, none of those things would have happened had man not fallen. It doesn't mean that the fall was good. It doesn't mean that God wanted the fall to happen. But God took what was evil. God took what was bad. God took what was a failure and a sin and a mistake. And he turned it into an occasion for demonstrating the depth of his love for humanity. You know, any God about in any religion, we can say, okay, these, these gods, the people believe that they are powerful and so on. But how many gods sacrificed themselves for the sake of the people that he created? How many gods demonstrate love in the way that the Lord did for us? And while God is in heaven, maybe it was difficult for us to understand his love. People looked at God as powerful, as, uh, as almighty, as all-knowing, and, uh, and, and all these things. But did they really understand the depth of his love until he came and became a man and we could speak with him person to person until we actually saw what he was willing to do for the sake of his creation? to willingly give up himself and to come and to take on the weakness of our humanity and to die by our own hands. This was something that truly demonstrated the love of God for his people. And so God took the mistake of Adam and Eve and he turned it into an occasion to demonstrate the depth of his love for us and to raise us with him, to experience the resurrection with him in, um, in his own resurrection. So finally, when it comes to our mistakes and failures, None of this validates that we should sin or that we should fail. Actually, St. Paul speaks and he says, should I sin so that grace may abound? Like, should I to see the grace of God? Should, does that mean that, I, that sin is okay? And he says, of course not, that it is not okay. But it gives us hope that when we fall, that in our life, when we are, our life which is filled of many kinds of failures, personal failures, that it is not the end. And it is something that even God can use and take to turn to something good for us and even something that is good for others. In Psalm 103, verse 10, it says, He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. God does not give us what we deserve, thank God. He gives us what we do not deserve. He gives us His grace. He gives us His mercy. And so God, in His mystery and His goodness, He's able to turn all things into good, even to us who are undeserving. So it is important for us to always keep this in mind. Sometimes we become discouraged whenever we feel like we are falling into the same mistakes, the same sins again and again and again. But here we see God uses all these people despite their failures, and God can also use us again. May God grant us always this knowledge and understanding so that we will always have hope and continue to the end. And glory be to God forever. Amen.